bride. Isaiah chapter number 36 in your Bibles. Isaiah 36. We have uh, reached a milestone in our teaching through Isaiah. Isaiah is con- con- uh, Isaiah contains three sections. Chapters 1 through 35 is the first part. 36 through 39 is a bridge. And then 40 to 66 is the second part. And so we have completed the first part of the book of Isaiah. And the bridge of the book is a story, a couple of stories about King Hezekiah. So we switch more from prophecy to history right in the middle of the book here. And we're given a story, a couple stories, about the life of King Hezekiah. And so uh, we're going to look at that uh, over the next handful of weeks. Next Wednesday night is going to be really special. We're flying in a missionary who is uh, here on furlough getting ready to go back to the mission field. And I'm, I'm looking at our missionary map, and I want to see us improve in a couple of areas. I'd like us to support more missionaries in the Middle East and in Africa. I think that those are our weak points on the map. And so the missionaries we're going to be bringing in over the next handful of months and years, we're going to try to concentrate in those two areas. Uh, we have a missionary coming in the fall who is um, uh, of Pakistani descent, heading to Pakistan to be a missionary, and has U.S. has a U.S. citizenship. And because of his father um, having given him property there in Pakistan, he is going to be able to do ministry in Pakistan, which is rare. To have a missionary in Pakistan is a special thing. And so he's coming in in the fall with his wife, and I believe they've got some kids, and they're going to be here to present their work. Next Wednesday, we have a missionary to Liberia that will be here with us. He is an established missionary there. He and his wife, uh, Mark and Sabrina Holmes. And Mark uh, has been on the mission field for several years. Uh, We had uh, uh, Brother uh, Cox come through here some years ago. Brother Cox raised some money for a uh, refugee uh, camp they were looking to build to help uh, Christian ladies who've gotten saved and were kicked out of their homes and needing a place to land. And I think uh, we, we had something like $10,000 raised and sent over there through Dr. Cox. And um, he, that missionary is going to be here. Listen, they have a large church. They have a Bible college, a Christian school. They've got a, a large operation going on over there in Liberia, and they've been living over there for many, many years. Um, I have known his wife, I've known of his wife, Sabrina. Uh, her brother and I grew up together down in the Deep South, and uh, she is uh, now married, and I think they have four, five, six kids, and they're, um, uh, they are acclimated to living in Liberia. They're getting ready to go back. Uh, they were here for a few months. I ran into him at that camp I went to in the Southeast, and uh, we connected and, and uh, got it on the calendar for him to come up here. So I think he's traveling by himself, but he'll be our speaker next week. You'll want to be here for that, to hear him present his ministry. He's a dynamic preacher. It won't be a Bible study. It's going to be a preaching service. So you'll want to be here to hear uh, Mark Holmes is his name, hear him preach. We'll be considering him to be our missionary here. And so um, be here for that. That'll be next week. I'll say more about that on Sunday morning. All right, Isaiah 36. You have a question? Liberia. Liberia. Why? Okay. Did you think I got tongue-tied? Liberia. I said Nigeria. Did I get them mixed up? No, no. 
Okay. No, I'm, I'm, now you got me wondering if I got it wrong. But I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it's Liberia. If he, if he gets here next week and says he's a missionary in Nigeria, then, then I stand corrected. So I'm pretty sure it's Liberia, though. All right, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 36. And again, we're going to be looking at a story. Uh, let's look at verse 1. We'll read down through verse number 5. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood at the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, Asaph's son, the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I, I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? So here, Rabshakeh, that's a title of a military general. Rabshakeh is there representing Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And here Rabshakeh is threatening Jerusalem. He's saying to them, Where does your confidence lie? What makes you think that Jerusalem is going to be able to stand against the mighty Sennacherib king of Assyria and he's going to give one of the most irreverent speeches found in the entire Bible. He's going to give one of the most blasphemous speeches in the entire Bible as he breathes great threatenings to those sitting on the wall, those standing guard on the wall there in Jerusalem. And the title of the Bible study tonight is this, When Faith is Under Assault. When Faith is Under Assault. This bridge in the book of Isaiah, 36, 37, 38, and 39, we're going to look at how, I, or how Hezekiah was under great assault in his uh, faith. And uh, tonight we're going to look at the first of those assaults laid against him, and the assault was against, indeed, his faith. Sometimes that happens to us. We're going along and we love God and some great crisis comes in our life and the next thing you know, our faith is shaken. Do we really believe in God or are we going to rely on ourselves or others? Let's pray tonight. God, thank you for your word. Help us to make it applicable. Help us to understand it. And Lord, help us to go forth and put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, other than David and Solomon... No other king of Israel is talked about more than Hezekiah in the Bible. In fact, you can find the story of Hezekiah in three different places. Second Kings devotes three chapters, chapters 18, 19, and 20. We've looked at that over the last handful of weeks going through the book of Isaiah. Second Chronicles 29, 30, 31, and 32. You have four chapters there in Second Chronicles devoted to Hezekiah. And then here in the book of Isaiah, we have uh, four more chapters dedicated to the life of Hezekiah. Why does God devote so much time uh, in Scripture to King Hezekiah? Now, we know why David. David was Israel's greatest king. And we know why Solomon. He built the temple. And uh, he was Israel's second greatest king. But why so much time given to Isaiah? Well, so much time is given to him because 
he genuinely loved the Lord and did much to get Israel back on track. Uh, Listen to this list of accomplishments. During his reign, he restored the temple facilities that had fallen in disarray and and services of worship. He destroyed the idols and uh, the high places where the people were falsely worshiping God and doing so under false pretense. Uh, During his reign, he sought to bring people, uh, to bring the people back to vital faith in the Lord, from more of a formalistic style of worship to truly believing in their God. During his reign, uh, we learn from these three uh, locations in Scripture, he led the people in a nationwide two-week celebration of the Passover, which had not been done in many, many uh, uh, generations. And he even invited Jews from the northern kingdom to come down and participate in this two-week celebration of the Passover. In fact, Second Chronicles 31, verse 21, the Bible says about Hezekiah, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it, listen to this, with all his heart. The Bible says this, and prospered. He did it with all his heart, and he prospered. Now, his father did not worship God. His father uh, was a man who did not believe in God. And the Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Hezekiah's son would do that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so his father didn't do what was right and his son didn't do what was right. But when it was his turn to be king, he stepped up and he gave his all to leading the country to do that which was right. Now, as we'll see over the next handful of weeks, Hezekiah didn't always get it right. He didn't always get it right. Sometimes when he got into crisis mode, he made poor choices and he did not rely on God and uh, things got messy. Can I just say this about even David and Solomon? They didn't always get it right either. They didn't always get it right either. In fact, it is really difficult to find a leader in Scripture that always got it right. Very difficult. We don't know that Daniel ever made any poor choices or that Joseph ever made any poor choices, but... I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. I think that probably Joseph and Daniel got it wrong sometimes too. The Bible just doesn't tell us that. We're not given all of the details. Here's the good news for me and you. We're not always going to get it right either. Sometimes we're going to make an error in judgment when it comes to our parenting. Sometimes we're going to have a lapse of faith when it comes to our church attendance. Sometimes we may be in church in body, but our spirit is sideways. You ever been there? You ever been there? Sometimes, sometimes we get real carnal at work. Right? We don't always get it right. But Hezekiah, while he got it wrong, he would put it back on track. I think of the verse in Proverbs that says, A just man falleth seven times but riseth up again, the wicked falleth into mischief. The difference between a just man and a wicked man is one gets up, the other one stays down. One gets up, the other one stays down. Now, um, Hezekiah would face three major crises during his 29-year reign. I think these are going to be on the screen. I'd write these down. He would face a personal crisis. He would face a national crisis. And he would face an international crisis. Three crises. We're going to look at these three crises over the next handful of weeks. A personal crisis, a national crisis, and an international crisis. 
The one we're going to focus on tonight is the international crisis. And really this week and next week we'll be focusing on that as chapters 36 and 37 lay out the international crisis. Tonight we're going to lay, lay out the problem. Next week we'll lay out the solution. Here's what I want you to get from the introduction tonight. Um, Sunday morning, or no, rather Sunday evening, we were looking at the life of David, and we said that faith requires waiting. How many of you are here Sunday night and you remember us talking about that? If you're going to have faith, you're going to be a believer, you're going to have to go through times of waiting on God. And if you can't wait on God's timing, then you truly don't really believe in God. Wanting things out, wanting God's will outside of the timing of God's will is a lack of faith. Now, tonight I'm going to give you yet another angle on faith. During times of crisis, um, uh, let me read it just as I have it here. It is during these times of crisis that faith is of the utmost importance. Will you and I trust God to get us through these hardships, or will we try to scheme our way through? Scheme our way through. Here's the quote. It's going to be on the screen. Faith is living without scheming. Faith is living without scheming. Well, I I can manipulate this person and I can manipulate that situation and I can push this button and I can pull this lever and I can talk my way through this and I can get someone to do that You are scheming through your crisis. Now listen, when God tells you to do something in your crisis, you're to do it. But by and large, we're to pray our way through our crisis and trust God to get us through. Faith is living without scheming. Hey, listen, you can act without scheming. You know what scheming is? Scheming is being deceptive. Being deceptive. That's not faith. Faith, Scheming is, I've got this. And I'm only going to turn to God when things get out of hand and I can't handle it anymore. Hey, I caught myself kind of doing a little bit of this today. Not scheming, but turning to God when I was in a point of needing help. Um, I, got, I had a really busy day today. I had several appointments and I went home for a few minutes. Angela and Matthew and April are in Indiana and so it's on me to take care of the pets. All right, I'm glad I live right next door. So I got to go over and check on uh, the pets and make sure they're okay. And um, I, I went home and I took my dog out to go to the bathroom and she's hanging out on the back porch with me and and I'm feeling gassed. I'm tired. I've worked hard today and I'm sitting on the porch and I had another appointment coming up and I and I stopped and I said, Lord, I need your strength. And you know what God said to me in my spirit? He said, Why didn't you pray earlier? Why are you just now praying when you're out of gas? You should have been asking me prior. You were leaning on your own strength prior, and now you're leaning on me. I should have prayed earlier in the day for his help and not waited the last minute. How many of you ever made that mistake? You only go to God when you're running, out, when you're running on fumes. You, only run, only go, you don't ask God for your daily bread. You ask Him when you run out of bread and you need it, right? You don't ask God to help you with the relationship until there's a problem in the relationship, and then you go to God, right? Help me through this. We don't need to scheme, we need to trust. Isaiah 36 and 37 lay out for us the international crisis that Hezekiah faced. This week we will lay out the assault on the faith. Uh, We will lay out the problem. 
Next Bible study, and this will be in two weeks. We have Brother Holmes here uh, with us next week. Next Bible study, we will look at the power of faith and see how God comes through when we truly put him to the test. So let's jump into the outline tonight, and let's look first of all at the invasion of Judah. The invasion of Judah. Before we look at verse 1 and 2 again, let me just uh, set the stage for you. God had risen up Assyria. One of the things I, I enjoy doing is reading the backstories on all of this. Um, I'm thankful for Wikipedia, although you've got to be careful with Wikipedia because sometimes what's on, what's on Wikipedia is not accurate. Uh, but I, I'm thankful for it because there's a lot of good things there. I went back and I read the history of Assyria, their rise and their fall. And you had various kings, you had three different Tilgath Pilsners, and we read about Tilgath Pilsner in, in Scripture, the, uh, the third one especially. Uh, between Tilgath Pilsner and uh, Sennacherib, there was another king. But Sennacherib, uh, the, the king prior to Sennacherib, would be the one that would take out the ten northern tribes. Then Sennacherib would take over for him and try to take that conquest even deeper. And Sennacherib would come in and invade Judah. And they would conquer almost all of Judah. Let me put it to you this way. Imagine, uh, for, imagine with me, if you will, that we had a national enemy. And that national enemy came in and conquered all of the U.S. except for Washington, D.C. I mean, took over the whole country. And the only area of our country that was still intact and had sovereign, sovereignty to it was Washington, D.C., we had our military surrounding the District of Columbia, and then the enemy comes right up to the edge and begins to breathe out threatenings. This is what happened under Hezekiah's rule. He lost the entire country to Assyrian rule, except for Jerusalem. Now, are you getting the picture of what's going on here? Assyria has taken out the ten northern tribes, wiped them out. They are no more. And by the way, they never were after that. And then they come into Judah and they conquer the entire country except for Jerusalem. And that's where we find things in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. So all of Judah has been conquered except for Jerusalem. Verse 2. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Now, this is of great importance of the location. Because if you remember back in the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah approached the father of Hezekiah at this very same spot and said to him, you need to trust the Lord and you don't need to fear the Assyrians because God is going to protect you. You don't need to fear. And remember back in Isaiah 7, he didn't trust the Lord. And Isaiah even said, ask God for a sign and he'll give you a sign. And, and he said, no, I won't tempt the Lord. And, and, and Isaiah said, well, I'm going to give you the sign anyway. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And the sign was given in Isaiah 7 at this very same place that now 
Rabshakeh is standing and breathing out threatenings. And so we see the invasion of Judah. Have you ever felt as though uh, there was an assault on your faith? Have you ever had that crisis where you just don't know really what you believe anymore and you don't know where to go? How many of you here have ever, ever in your entire Christian life ever gone through something like that? You know what I'm talking about tonight? Where you believed and you man, you thought you knew which way morally was up and down and left and right and all of a sudden you're just confused and you, you're questioning maybe even the existence of God. If you don't question the existence of God, you question the, the validity of the Bible or you question the validity of morality and, and you question uh, all sorts of things and, and you go through a faith crisis. You're under great assault. Well, uh, Israel was under, Judah was under great assault because the enemy had come in and greatly invaded and created this crisis. Now, uh, let's go on and talk about number two. That's going to be the majority of the message tonight. The intimidation of Rabshakeh. The intimidation of Rabshakeh. And again, Rabshakeh is a title for the top military general of the Assyrian army. Look at verse number three with me, okay? You get the picture, Jerusalem surrounded by a, a wall, and the people, uh, the army of Israel, uh, pe- and the people of Israel are up on the wall, and here comes Rabshakeh with an army exceeding 100,000 troops standing outside. All the rest of Judah has been conquered. Here comes Rabshakeh riding up on his horse. Look at verse 3. Then came forth unto him Eliakim. These are representatives of Hezekiah. Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house. And Shebna, the scribe. And Joah, Asaph's son, the recorder. He's there to record the conversation. And, and henceforth we have it here in Scripture. And so here comes Rabshakeh. He's getting ready to breathe out a blasphemous threat against all of Israel. And what happens here is that he's going to go right after their faith. Let me prove to you that he's going to assault their faith, just like the devil does with us. He assaults our faith. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Notice the assault on the how many times the word trust and confidence and faith are used here in in, uh, his speech. Look at verse 4. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Uh, Behold, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. Verse 4 of chapter 36. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king um, uh, of Assyria, What confidence, confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Notice he's going after their confidence, their trust. Look with me at verse number 5. Verse number 5. The Bible says, I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust? Trust that thou rebellest against me. Uh, Look with me at verse number 6. Lo, thou trustest, thou trustest in the staff of the broken reed. Look down at verse 7. But if thou say to me, we Trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he uh, whose high place and whose altars Hezekiah taken away? We'll get to that more in a moment. Look at verse 9. He, uh, how then wilt thou turn away the, the face of one captain, the least of my master's servants, and, and put thy trust, thy trust on Egypt? Uh, look, look down at, uh, let's see, look down at verse number 15. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. What is Rabshakeh doing? How is he intimidating them? He's going right at the heart of their faith. He's saying everything you believe in is, is phony. Everything you believe in is going to let you down and is going to fall apart. And that's exactly what Satan does to us. He goes after our faith. He attacks the foundation of what we believe in. And before you know it, 
everything about us is shaken because he's gone after our faith, an assault on our faith. Let's look at let's look at how he worked here because I believe that while this is an Israeli Jewish passage, I believe there are some applications that we can see how Satan intimidates us the same way. Notice letter A. He discredited their alliance. He discredited their alliance. Look at verse number 4. Now, Hezekiah had made an alliance, and he shouldn't have done this, but he made an alliance with Egypt. Look at verse 4. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I say... Sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust? That thou rebellest against me. Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt. Whereon, if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that trust in him. Notice where he starts. He starts by making a true statement. A true statement. Um, by the way, the prophet would say the same thing. Isaiah told Hezekiah, do not trust in Egypt, they will let you down. Look back at chapter 31 and look at verse 1. Isaiah said the same thing Rabshakeh is saying right here. Woe to them that, uh, verse 1 of 31, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now, the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, but both he that helpeth shall fail, and he that is hoping shall fall down, and they all shall fail together. What's he saying here? Isaiah is telling them, you're trusting in Egypt. Egypt's going to let you down. Egypt's going to let you down. You know what Satan does when he goes after our faith? He starts with a true statement. And that's exactly what Rabshak is starting with. He is starting with a fact. You have made an alliance with Egypt. Egypt will let you down. They're not coming to your aid to defend uh, you against uh, me. That is not going to happen. Look at verse 8 and 9. Go back to chapter 36. Look at verse 8 and 9. Now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give thee... 2,000 horses, if thou be able to ride, uh, be able um, uh, on thy part to set riders upon them, how then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? He's saying here, even if I gave you the horses, you guys are too weak to even fight against us. He said, your faith is in Egypt for horses, and they've not delivered. They've not come through. Now, I want you to know that while these three uh, ambassadors for uh, Hezekiah are standing here, so is the rest of Israel on the wall, listening, or rest of Judah on the wall, listening to this conversation, and he starts out by attacking their faith where it should not be. He discredited their alliance. Let her be. He derided their God. He derided their God. Look at verse number 7. Rabshakeh continues his assault. Verse 7. But if thou say to me, We trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away? And said to Judah and Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar. Oh, wow. Look what he's doing here. 
Hezekiah made a very unpopular decision. He went throughout Judah and he removed all of the high places where they were falsely and inappropriately worshiping God. This was not a popular move by Hezekiah. And Rabshakeh knew it. So what did he do? With an audience of people standing on the wall listening, he attacked a mistake Hezekiah had made and that the people knew Hezekiah had made. And then he attacked a decision that Hezekiah made about God, about their God, that he knew the people listening in viewed as unpopular. He's saying, don't tell me your faith is in God because even your own king doesn't let you worship God the way you want. You see what he's doing here? He's taking what I'll call a populist view. He's going after populism. By the way, he's also misrepresenting Hezekiah's actions, because if you go back and you read in the other passages of Scripture how Hezekiah tore down the high places, this pleased God. This pleased the Lord. Now, it wasn't popular with the people at first, but it pleased the Lord. What is Rabshakeh doing here? Well, he's going after a statement that's true, and then he's going after a statement that wins him points of popularity With the people, he's attacking their faith. You know what Satan does with you and I? He finds something that we believe in falsely, and he attacks that. He attacks that. Maybe there's someone here that has a faith in a preacher, and that preacher fails or falls or commits a sin or does something that that disenchants you. And the next thing you know, Satan's sitting there saying, See, I told you that stuff was true because your faith was misplaced. Then he goes after a decision that some spiritual leader in your life made that you didn't like, even if it was right. And he says, see there? See there? See how they don't have your best interest in mind? Satan works the same today as he did through Rabshakeh back here. Not only did he discredit their alliance and deride their God, rather look at verse 18. We'll see how further he goes after God. Look at verse 18, 18, 19, and 20. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his, uh, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphat? Where are the gods of uh, Sepharvam? And have they delivered Samaria? Listen, your own, your own nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles that live up uh, in, in Israel, did it work there in Samaria? Verse 20, who are they among all the gods of the lands? that have delivered their land out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. He said, look at all of the neighboring countries that had their gods. Did it work there? Nope. Even the northern ten tribes that worshipped the same God you did, did it work out for them? Nope. How about your uh, neighboring uh, walled fenced defended cities in your own country. We conquered them without a problem. What makes you think that God's going to protect you inside that city of Jerusalem? Your God is not able. And you know what Satan does? Is he points at other areas where seemingly God failed you and he says, see, your God is too weak to come through for you even here. I think sometimes we expect things from God that God does not expect of himself. And then when God doesn't come through on our terms, 
Satan then turns around and weaponizes that against our own faith. He assaults our faith. God, why did you let that happen to my loved one? Why did you let them get cancer? Why did you let them get hurt? Or why the abuse in my life or my, my loved one? Why did you, wh- wh- where were you when this happened? And, and we go along this line of reasoning and thought, and all of a sudden, Satan uses that to say, see, God didn't come through for you over here. And so now you can't expect him to come through for you anywhere. And that's exactly what Rabshakeh is doing here. He's saying, God didn't come through for your neighbors. What makes you think your God is capable? God, the gods of all these other countries didn't work. What makes you think that your God is going to carry you through? We see he discredited their alliance. He derided their God. Let her see, notice, he diminished their leader. He diminished their leader. Look at verse 11. Isaiah 36, look at verse number 11. Then said Eliakim and Shebna and Joah under Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, unto thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it, and speak not to us in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. So he's taunting, he's intimidating, He's verbally assaulting in the Jews' language. And these three guys say, whoa, 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 hold on. Okay, before we continue the conversation any further, we speak your language. So, let's be diplomatic here, right? And let's have this conversation in the Syrian tongue. Look at his response. Look how vile and vulgar and mean Rabshakeh gets. Verse 12. But Rabshakeh said, Hath my master sent me to thy master? And to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men that sit upon the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? This guy, man, he's he's a jerk. He said, I'm not here to... This isn't diplomacy. I'm not trying to be diplomatic with your, your king. I'm here to undermine your king. I'm here to talk to them up there. You all listen to me, because if you don't give in and, and, and do what I want, then you're going to eat your own feces, and you're going to drink your own urine. He's not playing around. Look at verse 12. But Rabshakeh said, here, oh, he's going to go after Hezekiah. He's going to go after the leader. Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Uh, we're read 12. Look at 13. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and said, Hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Then said the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah. For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present. And come out to me, and eat ye every one of his wine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his own cistern, until I come, uh, take, uh, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered uh, uh, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Not only has he gone after their alliances, not, as, not only has he gone after their god, now he points to their leader and says, your leader cannot protect you. 
Your leader cannot help you. Your leader is no good. Write this down. Satan loves to divide and isolate. Divide and isolate. Years ago, I had my brother preach a junior camp for me. I ran when I was a children's pastor. We took the kids to Virginia and our church put on a big junior camp and he showed a video. Maybe you shouldn't have shown this. Kids may have been too young, but oh well, it's done now. He showed a video of, a, of, a, of an antelope that got away from the pack. And this lion came out and pulled the antelope down in the water and destroyed it. You know what? When that antelope was with the pack, it was safe. But as soon as it got away from its pack, it was destroyed. It was, it was dinner. Here's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to discredit every element of your faith. He wants you to, make, he wants you to question your God. He wants you to question leadership at the church. Right? Oh, Pastor Lejeune, I mean, come on. Uh, he's got this quirk. He's got this problem. He's got this inconsistency. He's got this double standard in his life. Uh, he got this factually wrong. Uh, uh, he's off on this doctrine. And you know what? Sometimes those things that ride out in your mind are true about your pastor. Sometimes there are things you're going to see in me that aren't quite right. Because you know what I am? I'm a sinful human. And if you look close enough, you're going to find problems with me. You look close enough, you're going to find problems with our deacons. They're three great men. I love all three of our deacons. I think they're godly men. I think they're wonderful. But all three of them would tell you, if you hold up a microscope uh, or a, a magnifying glass close enough, you can find things in their life that aren't right. You look at Pastor Andrew close enough, you're going to find things about him uh, that you may not like. But Satan does not want you to follow any spiritual leadership in your life because he wants you to give up on God and give up on church so he can devour you. Devour you. Now listen, you're better off in a church with a pastor who's uh, got uh, some, some, some quirks and some problems and some struggles than you are on your own where Satan can just eat you alive. I can't tell you my six years of pastor, and I've got to be careful here because I'll get emotional. I can't tell you my six years of pastor how many times I've seen people get sideways over something at the church that really wasn't a big deal. They don't leave here and go to another church. They just quit going to church altogether. And the next thing you know, Satan has just ate their lunch. And Leo Kaiser sitting over here. You guys have been here a long time. How many people have you seen that happen to over 40 years of 30, 30 something years of being here? And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Satan wants to diminish leadership. If you are here and you are a wife, Satan wants to diminish your husband. Why do you think that men are under the roles that husbands and fathers play in this country? Why do you think in Western culture men are under such great assault? Because men are supposed to lead the way. God, or Satan rather, knows that if he can destroy the man, it's over. We're almost done here. I know the time. We're almost done here. Letter D, notice. He demanded their loyalty. This is exactly how Satan works. Look at verse 8. Look at three verses here. Rabshak is breathing out these threatenings. 
Now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria. And I will give thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. Look at verse 10. He's demanding loyalty. Verse 10. And am I now come up without the Lord against the land to destroy it? The Lord said unto me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Now he's claiming that their Jehovah God sent him up there to do this. Oh, the lies. Look at 16. Hearken not to Hezekiah. For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and eat ye every one of his vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his own cistern. 17 continues the thought. What's he saying here? He's saying you get two choices. You can continue to believe in your puny God and your puny leader, uh, and you can continue to stand there on a wall and let me kill you, or you can just wave the white flag and we'll give you a new place to live and we'll give you a better life. Give you a better life. You know, that's exactly what Satan does today. Ah, don't waste your time going to church and believing in all that Jesus stuff, right? If you come join my side, boy, I'll make you rich and I'll make you happy. Things would be great. Satan still uses the same old, tired tactics. Unfortunately, people continue to fall for his tactics. Things don't change. We see the invasion, the intimidation. Notice number three, the intuition. The intuition of the soldiers. Look at 21 and 22. And here I give the Israelites a lot of credit. The the residents of Jerusalem a lot of credit. Look at 21. But they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, Answer him not. Not, and not a man broke rank. Give them credit for that. 22. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, that was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah, with their clothes rent, and, uh, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. So you know the situation here. There's an army outside the wall. Judah's already been conquered. They're down to their last city. They've been backed into a corner. Israel, the ten northern tribes have been taken away. Rabshakeh is threatening to utterly destroy them and carry them away into captivity. And the people don't break rank. They keep their mouths shut. And uh, the, the ambassadors go back to Hezekiah with great sorrow, with great trouble. They're clothes torn and, and lay out the problem for Hezekiah. We see the assault on their faith. Next, or in two weeks, we're going to look at how they handled uh, that situation. And so we're going to see exactly how Hezekiah handles this assault on their faith. All right. I encourage you to read ahead and uh, see how it all plays out. Let's stand together. We'll be sent forth to serve God in prayer.